Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy, and this is episode number 350, A Behavioral Scientist on How Technology is Shaping Dating Today. I am going to be speaking with Clarissa Silva. She is a behavioral scientist, a researcher, and a relationship coach. And we're going to talk about why it's so hard for successful singles to find love today. And Clarissa is a walking example of somebody who did find love, and um, she kind of hacked hacked the system, and it's exciting to learn more about her. But before I bring her on, if you're new to Last First Date, I want to tell you a little bit about my mission. I began life at 50 years old. I would say there was the before divorce and the after divorce. Before divorce, I was kind of surviving and living under my potential, really just trying to make a marriage work that really wasn't working for a very long time. And I stayed for 23 years. And as I was divorcing, I said, you know, what else can I be doing with my life? What have I been putting off? What parts of me have gotten lost in this marriage? And I realized that there was this part of me that just loved helping people. I, if you look at my eighth grade yearbook, it says she's the go-to person to come to for support and advice. And so I decided to train as a life coach. A couple of years later, I became a dating coach after my friend called me the man whisperer because I kept helping her with her dating. And over the years, I realized that what I really love most about this work that I've been doing with women is the deeper work. It's helping women to really love themselves, to value themselves, and to play bigger in all parts of their lives. And that means speaking up more powerfully and standing up for what matters most to them. In short, this is what I call being a woman of value. And every week I bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value. This week's tip is step number 29, which is choose love over fear. And we really, love and fear just don't coexist. I mean, you cannot love in a place of fear. And so one of the ways that I've helped clients do this is to really have that inner dialogue in your own life, and it can go something like this. I am eating this healthy meal because I love myself and I'm honoring my body. I am going to work and doing this work because I love myself and I want to grow as a person. And so the dialogue goes from instead of I'm eating this food because I won't get fat if I eat it, to I'm eating it because I love my body and I love myself and I want to take care of myself. And so when we start changing that inner dialogue, we start actually changing our brains to be in a more positive, loving place, and that helps to really attract in more love into your life. So practice that and let me know how it goes. If you are not yet a member of my Facebook group, Your Last First Date, please join us there. And don't forget the your, that's important. Um, It is a large Facebook group for single women over 40. And we are a supportive, kind, loving place with strict guidelines to keep this place from going off the rails and being a place just to vent. So we are welcoming you if you would love to be in a safe space to talk about 
the struggles, struggles, the triumphs of dating after 40. And now for our special guest today, I am so excited because Clarissa Silva and I met years ago when I was doing blabs. If anybody is remembering blabs, <laughs> it feels like ancient history, but blabs were sort of a a platform for people to create videos and include people in the universe to come and join a conversation. And one day Clarissa showed up and I was, I was blabbing with my friend Bobby Palmer and you started talking to us and that's how we first connected, I think. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a behavioral scientist, a researcher, and a relationship coach. She has 18 years of experience. She developed the first ever disruptive relationship technique called Your Happiness Hypothesis method. She took traditional psychological and behavioral science models and she re-engineered them to be 10 times more effective than traditional methods. She revolutionized the way she approached love after really examining conventional theories and she realized none of it had ever worked in her life and that began her journey into disruption. Welcome to the show, Clarissa. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sandy. It's a true honor. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So I have a crazy question um, for you before we get into the topic, and that is um, I'd love for you to share the name of your business and why you chose that name. So my company is called Cecil the Solutions, and it has two divisions. The first division is a research consulting firm for corporate and it provides research, behavioral science, and data analytics to the corporate sector. And then the second division of the company is where your happiness hypothesis system resides, and that is the research and science to the private practice for the program on finding the right one, the program that you just described that helped me find my partner at 39. (laughs) So I... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I chose it. I chose happiness hypothesis because I was, when I was single for all those years in New York City, I started looking at some of the the different approaches that we were all using, online dating, offline dating, and realizing that they were always failing. So I started trying out little small tests each time. And... I realized that there were some failures in dating apps, so I created my own algorithm. And that algorithm began really guiding my dating experiences. So the first thing I ever said was, okay, let's treat dating like it's a social experiment. So that's where the hypothesis part came from. I think we should always be looking at things that kind of mathematically just like just like the dating apps do. It is an algorithm that's guiding that. And so I just took that idea and thought about the other element that's really complex in our lives, and that's how do you create happiness? What, who really, truly makes you happy? What, what combinations and qualities do you really, really want and need in your life to be happy? And that, that's a question that sometimes takes people decades. Right, I got married at forty one or forty two. I can't even remember. Right, mm-hmm. so 
happiness hypothesis was really just experimenting with different techniques, me re-engineering a lot of the processes, and each thing that worked for me, I kept testing. I kept trying out, and I kept, I kept just encouraging clients to, to try it. And when they were, they were getting results, I was like, okay, I have to perfect this even more and more and more. And about like five years later, I finally have my first program. <laughs> mm. That's so cool. So I love that you hacked the system. Um, it reminds me a little bit about, uh, was it Amy Webb, who who um, really kind of deconstructed the whole dating world and created all these algorithms and, and made it so that she, she studied profiles that worked. And so it's it's very interesting when you really look at it as a social experiment. Um, yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how that, how it works. Like how, like some of the methods that you tried and experimented with. So originally, you know, I'm trained as straight up scientist, straight up researcher, straight up clinician, and all of that is very classical training, so it's a lot of cognitive behavioral, it's a lot of positive psychology, it's neuropsych, it's, it's a lot of cognition, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of really, really effective models when you're in a therapeutic setting, when you're in a clinical setting, when, when you know that you can transform things and you can design interventions to occur within 90 days. With love, it is completely complex and it's completely irrational. So I had to try to try to address some of the irrationality, right? I mean, you you know with your own clients, like one one method works for one and the and doesn't work for another, right? Like it's uh-huh. the equa- the actual equation to help completely complex, completely like because it, love lacks a formula. So I decided, well, hmm. if we're operating without a formula, why don't I just start redesigning everything, re-engineering everything, short-cycling everything? And originally your happiness hypothesis method had a, a seven-day efficacy threshold, right? I was looking for breakthroughs to happen in seven days. I was hoping for for the decision-making process to shift. You know, I was looking for a lot of shifts to happen within a week. Uh, Sandy, that (laughs) was not sufficient for me. I had to break my own seven days. I said, no, 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 We we could get this to be better, right? So I went back into the lab, and Sandy, today the program has 12 hour breakthrough points and the program has 90% efficacy across all the key outcomes. Wow. So I kept pushing till I created the best thing I could ever create in my life as a scientist, as a geek, and as somebody that was truly looking at, like, where do we fail at relationships? Where are the decision-making failures? What's really, really prohibiting us from really finding true happiness? So I sat down and I thought, you know what, 
let's address the hardest parts of relationships, the parts that cause pain from past relationship failures. Let's unpack patterns and cycles that you aren't consciously aware of. Let's unpack the definitions and blueprints that you designed around avoiding pain, and let's rewrite a new blueprint that's more consistent with bringing you happiness. Hmm. So it's it's not about avoiding the negativity as much as it is about moving towards joy and happiness? It's more about, yes, it is more about cognitive reshifting. It is more about really examining what you want versus what you need because what I've found is that we create definitions based on the past. And this happens exclusively in relationships. So mm-hmm. when we're building definitions that we take to the next relationship and for decades, it's all based on avoiding pain and avoiding past hurt. So right. one of the things that, that the program um, really does accomplish is unpacking all of that. And with those elements, too, uh, you know, we we have a lot of depression risk and anxiety risk as a result of those decade-long decisions and decade-long definitions. So the other the other outcomes of the of my six-week program, which really blew my mind, is it also reduces depression and anxiety risk, and my program improves brain health. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you. And uh, we do. Yeah, no, it's it's we are living in such an anxious world and I was just talking to a client this morning about um she's a therapist and we were talking mm-hmm. about mindfulness and and meditation yeah. and and getting off of devices and busyness and filling our brains with just stuff instead of taking time to actually focus on ourselves and creativity and allowing creativity to come forth, you know, without taking a pause, we can't, we can't function. And so we have so much anxiety and we have to get more and more done. And, oh my God. And the compare and despair stuff that happens on social media. Oh my God. Okay. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so you know, so we have we have these successful people out in the world and you were one of them who was having trouble dating. Um so why are, what are some of the reasons that successful singles struggle in today's dating landscape? Well, you know, let's let's look at two different groups for a second, right? Um and I'm just saying let's look at millennials and then look at Gen X uh, but the truth is more and more the digital dating world keeps coming up with terms for new bad behavior. And uh-huh. my happiness hypothesis method came from my happiness hypothesis study that I conducted with both men and women and millennials and Gen Xers. And some of the key findings that, that still continue to play out in the dating landscape today is primarily the paradox effect that's happening in dating, right? Dating apps are giving off the illusion of many choices while making it harder to find viable options, right? Uh 
And and the other thing too is is what I call vanity validation. You know, because you're interfacing digitally more than you are physically, it's easy to emotionally manipulate others, right? So mm-hmm. my study my study found that 80% of millennials reported having experienced ghosting, benching, gaslighting, breadcrumbing, all these suboptimal dating patterns. And 50% reported it an average of three months before they reached out to the person that ghosted. And that's normative. Sandy, I couldn't believe that's normative. You ghost. Uh-huh. That's normative, right? Three months, right, no right. contact. Normative. But I found out that while the other person, one person is there waiting for three months, the other person went on an average of eight dates while you were wearing, while you were waiting to hear back from them. But, you know, wow. it's like you said, I think the, the truth is we're treating people like we do our social treatment, right? The shiniest object is what you stop at, then you move on. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's the vicious cycle to these dating patterns, too. So yeah. vanity validation is all about, well, it, it appears that you're seeking more validation through electronic life and swipes than actual life experiences. So in essence, yep. it becomes, oh, you don't want to avoid confrontation with another human being. You ghost them. You're sick of your job. You ghost them, right? So this became such a, such a common occurrence. Now, this research was being conducted five years ago, right? And we looked, we were starting to examine patterns of ghosting, right coming out for three years. So it it became something that became so pervasive, which is predictive, right? So now ghosting is happening in the worst place. So I uh-huh. started looking at all this data, and I thought, you know what? What's really driving it? So I came up with the theory of detachment style. Because after all, it's their detachment to the outcomes that were making them behave that way. So I, I uh-huh. decided... Let me examine some of the data. Let me see if there's personality styles that match it. And I did. I I found four distinct patterns. So I think those things are contributing to to a larger challenge in dating that didn't exist in other generations. And if people want to look at the distinct um, detachment styles, it's on my it's on my website. Hmm. Okay, I did see you post something about it. You wrote an article about it recently. Um, yeah, it's interesting because we talk about attachment, we don't talk about detachment, and yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. And I think it's become so much the norm that, and I I was talking to somebody recently about um, about how to how to end things before sometimes before a first date, like. You know, you talk on the phone a few times sometimes and you, you know, you you feel a disconnect or you pick up on red flags and you don't want to meet that person. And a lot of people just never, never tell somebody they're not interested. They never say anything and they just disappear. And so I was having there, you have to go into any kind of explanation about why you're not interested. My theory is that you just say, I don't feel it's a good match. You don't have to say, I can see all these red flags and, you know, 
you're still right. angry at your ex, and I'm not interested because then you open up the discussion to somebody pushing back. So, yeah, how do you feel about that? Oh, I agree. I agree. I think I think it's it's a much more decent way to at least give termination to relationships. Because mm-hmm. what it does for the other person is create self-doubt. It, is, it enhances, it creates a definition for that person that doesn't need to exist. But we live in a world where it's, we're, we're very dismissive. So as much as we can all say that these things are ideal, what we have to do is just create programs to just buffer that it's occurring. You know, that's, there, there's two ways to, to handle the, the problem. And the solutions are, okay, uh, this is normative. You're accepting this. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I just lost you. Uh, I'm still here. Oh, okay. I, I didn't hear okay. the last part of what you said. Um, so accept that it's normative, right? So I think, you know, if people yeah. are fighting against it, I see that all the time, like, why do I get online and there's just scammers or there's people who ghost me and so I don't want to I don't want to date online and they're missing out on on an incredible option of meeting people but you have to understand the system so there is going to be ghosting there is going to be breadcrumbing there is going to be scammers there is going to be all these things and then what do you do what do you do about like how did that how do you then find love when you have this paradox of choice right right yeah, and most people thought dating apps were going to be the single solution, you know, and for mm-hmm. millennials, that is the only solution that they've used for some, right? right. But it's brought right. out a host of new issues that we now have to address, you know, on top of the extraordinary complex <laughs> love and finding the right one challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So walk us through, like, somebody who goes through your system and um, comes in and their brain needs to be rewired a bit. They're coming from a place of anxiety and too much choice. What are some of the steps that they might go through? So for each demographic, there is there's their own set of unique challenges, right? So for high achievers, for successful people, it's just finding people that aren't intimidated, intimidated by them or use them for their money or power. And for millennials, it's just getting someone to answer, answer them back that they really feel a deep connection to, right? I mean, when we really look at, at the real issues that are driving some of the behavior, right? So let's go back to what, what I said earlier about treat dating like it's a social experiment. One of the largest pain points and the most concerns for people are trying to find decent people, right? They're just trying to find people that they're compatible with. So part of the your happiness hypothesis is creating what I call your own personal algorithm. So each client designs their own algorithm and we test this out, right? So I want them to look at they're dating like they're looking at collecting data on what they want and what they need. So each time that they're testing out 
what experiences they're having against each experience, it begins to create a real-life algorithm of their own. They can see and test, these elements work best for me, these elements don't, right? Although I thought I wanted X, Y, Z, when I actually tried to fit that into how my life is and what my desires are, it wasn't so ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Because in, in my research, I found that overall, it takes about an average of 14 years for people to find who their ideal partner is. Mm. Women reported losing five years of their reproductive life cycle, and men reported having to spend five years to rebuild themselves financially. In all that time, people still lacked the definition of what they wanted versus what they needed. That's the major, major target of creating that personal algorithm. And then we just walk through the phases of really unpacking some of that definition. And in that definition that you created over decades and over time is where the truly, truly difficult work lies because that's where you're going to be unpacking patterns, unpacking cycles, sometimes unpacking abuse, sometimes unpacking just exploitation, sometimes unpacking just things you didn't deserve, right? Because mm-hmm. in, in your quest for happiness, people always want to be happy, but they can make you very miserable along the way. And a lot of times we expect people to be at a place that is rid of all their decades of pain, decades of avoidance, and their own blueprints. So trying to, trying to even decide on who would be ideal and why they're ideal is really the hardest decision about finding the right person. Because a lot of mm-hmm. times you, you, hear, you hear from your clients or, your, or, or a friend, right? Oh, if I just had this, I could be happy. Right, but the right, truth right. is, relationships are far more complex. It's mm-hmm. it's it, it's decision making, and we try to avoid pain based on last decision that you made, and it, it's so it's it's a it's a lot more complicated. And all of those decisions and those definitions become part of things that cause you anxiety you are at risk for depression when you examine after decades of not choosing the right types, why you're alone. It's a lot, it becomes this persecutory uh, approach to dating and it, and it doesn't have to be. So that's, yeah, that's my method in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it sounds great. It's um, I think unpacking and looking at patterns is so critical because if you see like the data on second divorces and third divorces and it's extremely high rate of divorce, and I firmly believe that it's because people don't do this work. It's because they keep repeating the same pattern and marrying the same person with a different face and repeating and repeating and then blaming the other person instead of looking within as to what can I do differently and what is get like, hello, I'm the only common denominator here, right? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's the, that's the other part is we're not we're not always self aware, right? I mean, that's you know, it's easy for us to sit back and say after two divorces, after co-parenting failures, well, you know, now I, you know, but you know. So anyway, we try to expedite it. You know, we just, you know, your happiness hypothesis tries to cut through that. I hate that women and men have to feel like they they would lose any part of, of, of life, like five years. You, you know what I mean? Five years is critical. Like what, you know, you shouldn't take an absence from dating. You shouldn't you shouldn't give up your dreams. How many women do I have that, that have told me, like, I'm just, I'm now 41. I'm freezing my eggs. I, I, I maybe I'll find some. Maybe you know I'm I'm just giving up. You know I'm sick of I'm sick of meeting people that uh, the first thing out of their head is they they're intimidated by me. You know so I, I no longer want I no longer want women to have that experience. I no longer want men to have that experience. I want I want people to find something. This is this is just six weeks. It's very disruptive. It's highly transformative. It's it's effective, and it has additional benefits of brain health, reduction in anxiety, reduction in depression, and optimal relationship outcomes. I, you know, I couldn't have designed this quick enough. Is what I think. I should have I should have created this ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shoulds, right? Um, it, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's here and it's available, and people can use it now and stop. It's, a, you know, I, I, I get people who come to me also, and it's like they want everything to change immediately. And if you look at, you know, you've been this way for fifty years, and you've got to practice this stuff. It's not something that happens overnight, but it can start a cycle of things changing pretty quickly, as you say. Oh, and absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, which I love. I think that's it's uh it's really wonderful what you're doing, Clarissa. Thank you. Um thank you. Yeah. So real quick I would love to hear your love story and then and then you can share how people can find you. How did you meet your husband? How, tell us the, the, the Cliff Notes version. Virgin. <laughs> Not virgin. Okay. So so I am always my first um, research subject. So I, I was testing out different aspects of the happiness hypothesis method. And at that time, I was using Google Plus as a distribution channel. And I was testing everything and reporting it on my blog, creating posts and talking about the algo. And, and so each time I, 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 I did this, I would, in, I would start focus groups in Google Plus or just like live research. I was conducting live research on Google Hangouts. Mm-hmm. So a, mutual, a, a mutual friend of mine and my husband knew about my work, and I was at the final phase of testing out the last leg of the experiment. And he was the one that suggested that I meet my husband based on just everything that I had already described to to him about what I thought I wanted versus what I needed. And I was describing to him my husband. 
but I didn't know mm. that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, so I did a 360 on my own, right? And here I am, this is the final phase. So this was my, my final week of testing out the full program. So within the one week, there I am describing what my husband is, a mutual friend of ours, tells me all about him, and then within the next day, I am, I am talking to my husband in a Google Hangout. <laughs> so it was my message that worked for myself, right? So that's the first area where I knew, okay, I'm, I'm annoying and very, very, like, obnoxious. And it worked for me. <laughs> and like so and I was I, I was what what I'm trying to avoid now is just like I I was like, all right, you know, hey, I'm walking into my forties, I'm loving me, yeah, this is great. Oh my god, why is it so hard to date in New York City? Right? Like what is wrong? Like I was doing all the things that I'm like we're all doing it. We're all at this point. So, so yeah. Anyway, that's how oh, I met. I love it. I used my yay. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and you look so happy in those pictures. So you you found a good guy. He found a good woman, and you know, and and it's okay to be all of who you are. The right person will love who you are. It's not about suppressing your loudness or your brilliance. It's about really showing up and the right person embraces that. So you did it, you found them and uh, I love it. <laughs> so Clarissa, um, tell everybody how they can find you. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So I, my site is clarissasilva.com and that's where you can find all these articles. Uh, you can find the detachment style theory on there you could also find the Your Happiness Hypothesis findings all on the site. Um, right now, the program is under, um, it's, I haven't completely launched yet. I hope to be launching in April. So right now, there's a pre-enrollment um, page on the site. And eventually, the Happiness Hypothesis will have its own dedicated site um, called the H2Omethod.com where people will have their own um, separate portals every time they log in to track their own progress. So you can find all of the research I described on clarissasilva.com. You can pre-enroll for your happiness hypothesis system uh, today, and the minute it gets, it gets launched and is released, I uh, will personally reach out to everyone that joins and I have a few awesome. free screeners on the site, too, so be free to peruse through the site. And if you're interested, please feel free, enroll. And because listening to this podcast, when you enroll, please let me know that you use code Sandy Wiener in your, in your um, subject line when you pre-enroll, and I'll take $1,000 off the program. Ooh, what a nice gift. <laughs> I will put that in the uh, in the show notes as well. Thank you. So, yeah. code Sandy Wiener, get a thousand dollars off. Do it today, ladies and men. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for for showing up and disrupting for us because we need we need more disruptors out there. <laughs> thank 
And thank you. Yeah, it was so great to have you on the show today. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you love our show, please rate us and review us on iTunes. We love you for that. That helps more people find us and listen to us and download us. And I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Bye.